Welcome to Capital Link's company presentation series. Nicholas Bornois of Capital Link, and I would like to welcome you to Capital Link's corporate presentation series. We are delighted to have with us today the senior management of uh, Dorian LPG, and they will talk about the company's uh, development strategy and the outlook of the uh, LPG sector. Uh, as a quick disclaimer, this is for informational purposes only. It does not include investment advice or advice of any kind. Uh, also, logistically, we will start with a slide presentation by management, and uh, this will be followed by a live Q&A session. Uh, please, uh, you can submit your questions through the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, and your questions will be replied to, answered to uh, at the end of the slide presentation. You can submit your questions anytime during the uh, this session. Uh, and uh, in closing, this presentation will be available as an archive for everyone to access upon demand after the live session. And with this, I will turn it over to uh, Ted and John, and thank you for being with us. Thank you, Nicholas. Thank you, Nicholas. Uh, good morning. I'm Ted Young. I'm the CFO of Dorian LPG. Uh, this is John LaCoura, CEO of Dorian LPG USA and a member of the Board of Directors of Dorian LPG Limited. Um, let's turn over to our uh, slide presentation, which hopefully everybody can see. Um, one moment. One moment. Just a second. One more. You gotta be kidding me. It just worked. Oh, this is a disaster. Well, um, apologies, but I don't quite have the technology right here, but uh, hopefully everybody can follow along. Uh, standard uh, forward-looking statements disclaimer. So uh, turning quickly to Dorian LPG, we are a New York Stock Exchange listed owner and operator of very large gas carriers. That's the largest segment in the LPG segment. That's liquefied petroleum gas, not LNG. And we'll get onto some of the distinctions uh, between those two subsegments. Um, we operate globally with headquarters in Stanford and teams in Copenhagen, Athens, and a joint venture presence in Singapore. Uh, we own uh, 19 ships and uh, have a uh, uh, we and, and also have a, a couple chartered in ships as well as uh, this year we'll be taking during the course of 2023 delivery of uh, four ships, one owned and three on time charter. As you can see, we've got a, a quite young fleet. We've made a significant investment in scrubbers with over half our fleet being scrubber equipped. And uh, that's paid big dividends, which we'll touch on a little bit later. And overall, we feel uh, very well positioned and uh, are pretty excited about what we see on the horizon. Uh, turning very quickly just to the fundamentals of LPG. Um, LPG is propane and butane. It is a byproduct of the production of oil and gas. Uh, it's split out uh, at the, after coming out of the wellhead. And uh, some of it also comes out, about a third comes out of the refining process. And, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, 
the events in Russia and the decline in or in Ukraine and the decline in production out of Russia has actually had an impact on that segment of our of our business. Um, why LPG? Um, it's cheap. It's easy to transport. Um, a significant portion of, uh, of of LPG is used for um, heating and cooking, about 50%. So we have very stable base demand no matter what happens. The next biggest segment is uh, the pet chem and, uh, segment. It is used as a feedstock for traditional steam crackers to make propylene. And it's also an important part of or the only feedstock used by propane dehydrogenation plants, which is a direct on-purpose way uh, of making propylene. And there's uh, an interesting dynamic there that we'll touch on in just a couple slides about the trade-off between naphtha and LPG. Uh, it's also used to power a number of industrial applications. It's used as autogas, um, and it's also used around the world, particularly in the US by farm farmers to uh, dry their crops. To maybe give you a, some additional data, global demand for LPG is about 330 to 340 million metric tons. Um, about a third of that uh, is traded over the water. Most of that, or quite a significant portion of that, goes on VLGCs. The major production bases uh, for uh, LPG are, not surprisingly, the United States and the Middle East. Major end user markets are the Far East, China, India, Japan, Korea. Um, it's different from, L from LNG and it's not interchangeable generally. Um, LNG has a lower boiling point. It requires very different transportation needs. Um, uh, they've got a much more complicated uh, containment system than we do. Um, uh, ours is more art than science, I think. And uh, you know we, we have highly specialized crew that supports our operation. Um, to give you some environmental statistics, LPG uh, has about uh, 66 kilograms of CO2 per million BTU. That compares with crude, which has about 77 uh, kilograms, and LNG, which has about uh, 59. And in terms of particulate matter, also extremely competitive. Uh, we've got about 0.02 grams of particulate matter per um, two and a half million millijoules. Uh, LNG is lower at 0.04, but Obviously, very favorable compared to thermal coal, for example, at 2.7 million or 2.7 uh, grams. So it's 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 environmentally friendly uh, relative to the alternatives. It's abundant in supply. It's relatively cheap to transport compared uh, to to many of the alternatives, and it's relatively easy to do the last mile logistics, which sets us up well for uh, growth in the emerging markets. Uh, here are some of the world trade lanes. Again, as we talked about. North America through the Panama Canal to Asia is a major trade lane. Uh, depending on the curve, uh, you'll go around the Cape of Good Hope to Asia. Uh, there's also an increasing trade to Europe uh, because uh, you know LPG that might have been coming out of the refining process uh, is 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 not quite as present given what's been going on uh, with with the crude oil and LNG supply there. Uh, and of course, the Middle East is, continues to be a major supplier of most of that product going to India and Asia. Uh, we gave you at the bottom just an overview of the three kinds, three broad classes of vessels, um, pressurized, semi-ref, and fully ref. Uh, we're solely present in the fully ref and in the largest segment. VLGCs are generally vessels that have um, around 46, 000, 40 to 46,000 cubic uh, meters of carrying capacity. 
that's somewhere between 75, uh, well, it's at least 75,000 metric tons and up. Uh, largest vessels on the water today can do 91,000 metric tons. Uh, most of our vessels transport about 84,000 metric tons. So turning briefly to what's been going on in the market, um, you know, you can see that obviously, on, and this is presented as dollars per million BTU. So it gives you a real sense for how the energy price has changed. And that top green bar is the price of LNG in Japan and Korea. Uh, so you can see that that's obviously had uh, hugely affected by the Russia-Ukraine more, um, you know, not as much of an impact the re through the rest of the, um, uh, the other commodities, which of course sets up well for, uh, for, for LNG, for LPG. Um, you know, what, one of the things that's come out of this is obviously LNG is very dear. And uh, one way that LPG has benefited from this uh, is that LPG can be spiked into LNG to sort of expand its calorific value. Uh, Japan's been doing it for years, uh, but other folks are picking up the, uh, picking up the slack and investing in uh, or, or in doing the same thing. So we've seen some marginal growth from, uh, from, from, say, from demand there. Um, even in traditional steam cracking, which oftentimes uses LP, LNG to create the steam, uh, they've now decided that in this environment, particularly in Europe, that that's no longer perhaps the most cost-effective way. So we've seen Evonik, which is a petrochemical producer in Germany, announced that it's moving all of its steam cracking away from LNG to LPG. Um, and as you can imagine, in this, in this uh, interesting energy environment in which we find ourselves, um, the product like LPG has benefited quite well. The EIA just came out with the updated forecast yesterday. Um, next year, the, the next two years, we're expecting increases in production in the U.S. of 5 to 6%. Um, the EIA is forecasting a 16% increase in exports for 2023 uh, and 8% for 2024. Uh, which which generally means that all the incremental export product and then some is going is is going abroad. So that obviously sets up very well for our business. Um, just as a quick backdrop to that, U.S. demand is essentially flat, maybe slightly declining. Uh, LNG continues to take market share as a main source of uh, of heat here in the U.S. as uh, as I think many of uh, our participants know. So what drives our trade? Well, there's two arbitrages that we look at. One is the east-west arb, which is quite simply the price of the product uh, at the dock, plus a terminaling fee, plus freight, compared to the uh, landed price in the Far East. And uh, as you can see, the yellow bar uh, on this chart represents the spot freight rate and what's sort of available in the market. And so you can see in uh, over this time period, it's been it's been quite healthy. We've had a very strong uh, calendar 2022. Uh, we've been able to pay out a lot in dividends, and in spite of uh, you know the decline uh, that you can see in Mount Bellevue pricing and even with its slight uptick, uh, that freight rate has remained quite uh, quite healthy for us. And so um, you know the market continues to be pretty good. Uh, right now, day rates are probably around sixty five seventy thousand dollars a day. Uh, that's down from $130,000 just a few weeks ago. Uh, as a reminder, you know, we we, we probably have, um, it probably costs us about $10,000, $11,000 a day in OPEX and GNA to run the ship. So you can do the math on EBITDA per day and our uh, cash cost per day overall, including 
uh, debt service uh, interest and principal probably runs about $23,000 a day. So in this environment, um, uh, it's pretty healthy for, uh, for, for us. The other main ARB that we look at, and this drives that pet chem demand that we talked about, which is about 28% of world demand, uh, is the arbitrage between LPG and naphtha. And uh, when LPG is cheap, and that's usually at least $50 a metric ton, um, we'll see pet chem producers swapping out a portion of their feedstock mix. It's not 100%, it depends on the technology, um, but somewhere between 5 and 15% of the feedstock slate can be swapped out um, between LNG and, sorry, LPG and naphtha. So uh, as a result, when you see those negative bars on the right, um, you know, we see uh, that that's that's very that's that's good news for uh, the LPG industry and for LPG shipping demand. And when we see those kind of rates or that, those kind of differentials, it's generally pretty healthy for uh, uh, LPG freight rates uh, like we're seeing today. And on the left side, um, even though we've seen significant growth in PDH, which is that on purpose direct way of making uh, propylene, there's still additional uh, capacity coming online in traditional steam cracking in Asia. Uh, which will also drive continued LPG growth. So again, we see uh, continued strong fundamental pull-through demand in our sector. To put the, the market in a bit of context, you can see that uh, year to date, uh, these, uh, you know, we've had uh, high single-digit growth. Uh, the interesting aspect this year has been uh, the strong growth of the Middle East. As you can see in the lower right-hand quadrant, um, their growth had been you know, fairly stagnant uh, for the last few years, but obviously as a consequence of Russia's invasion of Ukraine and the migration of those Russian barrels away from, uh, from Russia and into other markets, uh, the Arabian Gulf guys have, have ramped up production and that's resulted in more uh, associated gas, more LPG. Um, so the, you know, the OPEC cuts um, you know, didn't, have a huge impact. And also from, from an LPG perspective, uh, Russia had never been that major a player on the, on the world export scene. They probably only exported 6 million metric tons of LPG and about three of that went on rail cars to Central Europe and into uh, the, 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 Asia, the Asian republics, Kazakhstan, Turkmenistan, and Uzbekistan. Um, and uh, the, the remainder came out on, on uh, mid-sized ships, MGCs, out of the Oost-Luga port up by St. Petersburg. So uh, really not, not much of an impact from that perspective in the VLGC trade ever, but I'd say we have been um, uh, somewhat beneficiaries as one does not like to be in a tragedy, but it certainly has boosted uh, LPG demand. Uh, you can see here that LPG global seaborne exports, uh, the mix has grown uh, you know, pretty steadily. Uh, and uh, is the U.S. has taken market share uh, from, from Asia, and uh, we're now the biggest exporter. If you look back in time, uh, immediately prior to our IPO in 2014, uh, in 2013, the United States exported 4 million metric tons of LPG uh, and imported about the same amount. Um, you know, we, we're, we're, now, we're now looking at exporting somewhere between 55 and 60 million metric tons. So very significant growth. And uh, what we've tended to see historically with LPG is that when there is adequate supply, there is usually demand. And that's usually the, the swing takers, of course, the pet chem guys who are the most sensitive, uh, price sensitive, but uh, because of the, the abundance of the product, we've seen you know, pretty steady growth 
in demand and, and uh, obviously the, the growth in propane dehydrogenation plants, not just in China, but around the world, which is of course supportive of LPG because there's no bit away from, uh, from NAPFA. Far East, of course, as we talked about, is, is the major driver. Uh, China is now the, the largest uh, consumer of LPG in the world. In 2021, they consumed 71 million metric tons of LPG. Uh, you know, I'd say about uh, 25 to uh, for about 40% was imported. Uh, you know, some of it they, they're able to produce from their own refining activity. Uh, India has been a big growth market. It's used there uh, predominantly for heating and cooking, uh, about 80% of the demand. So from that perspective, it's, it's very stable demand. Uh, obviously benefited some from the COVID lockdowns as people were forced to be at home and, and eat at home. So that uh, certainly uh, was, again, a sort of a favorable aspect for, for LPG during the, uh, during the COVID lockdowns. Uh, we've already touched on PDH uh, and the growth of those projects, but you can see there in numbers uh, how significantly that's grown over time and uh, obviously been, a, been helpful to our industry. Um, it's no secret for those of you who were followers, even casual followers of the VLGC segment, that we are looking at a, uh, at a somewhat large order book coming online here. The, uh, you know, uh, 45 ships uh, is, is a big number. It's about as many as we had in 2016. But of course, the fleet was less than half the size. So um, no one likes to have this many ships come into his, uh, into his market. But on the other hand, um, we already touched on the fact that um, we're forecasting pretty uh, explosive uh, export growth here in the U.S. this year. Uh, it's also worth noting that 66 zero ships uh, are special survey due this year. Those ships will be, you know, out of out of commission, not trading for two to four weeks, depending on you know what they're doing and where they're being dry docking, where they're being dry docked. Um, in addition. Um, you know, we have we have uh, sort of the tail end of the fleet, which is aging out. And, um, you know, most of those older ships we admittedly don't see in our trades, but scrapping always helps. We hope to see, um, you know, some additional scrapping again in a higher interest rate environment. Um, anybody carrying debt with those older ships will find ships that are uh, have lower cubic carrying capacity, much higher fuel consumption uh, and potentially higher interest costs. So, um you know, that could lead to some additional scrapping. But overall, um, you know, we, 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 we don't expect, um, you know, a, a cataclysm like we, expect, like we experienced in 2016 to 18, but there, is, there are a, a, a significant number of ships coming online this year and a few in the coming years. But also, as we've touched on, the long-term growth seems pretty good. Um, so uh, investors will have to make their own conclusions, but... Uh, we feel importantly that as a company, we, we're, 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 pretty, we're, we're well prepared to deal with whatever may come our way. Uh, we survived the, the downturn of 16 to 18 without going to shareholders for money. Um, and we, uh, we don't intend to you know, ever do that if we can avoid it. Um, and you know, once the market turned, we had, had our balance sheet in shape, continued to make improvements in our balance sheet. And so through this upturn, as we said, we've, uh, we've returned a lot of capital to shareholders, uh, about 500 million in total. Turning again a little bit back to more Dorian-specific information, uh, together with Phoenix Tankers, which is a, a subsidiary of MOL from Japan, we operate the Helios LPG pool, which is the largest VLGC uh, uh, pool in the world. Um, you know the, the arrangement is fantastic because they're uh, 
uh, you know, Japanese company that's still an important market and having relationships and insight into that market is useful for us. Uh, gives us a virtual presence in Singapore, which is an extremely important LTG trading market. And they get the benefit of having uh, our European presence and our European relationships. So uh, we've been extremely happy with the relationship. We've had uh, some different uh, pool participants over time, and it's always something we're looking to grow. But uh, we continue to be happy with how that positions us strategically. I touched on it a little bit before, but it, it, um, you know, here in Stanford, uh, where John and I are sitting, uh, we've got 16 people, and that's um, finance, accounting, strategy, IT, uh, all those good things. And our CEO, John Hajibatera, sits here as well. In Copenhagen, we do our, our post-fixture chartering, uh, sorry, our chartering and our post-fixture operations. Uh, we also have a fleet performance group, which is really important in this day and age, uh, as one is looking to uh, minimize emissions and maximize uh, fuel efficiency and fleet performance. We have a couple of guys dedicated there uh, working on that, uh, and they work very closely with uh, our team in Athens, which does all of our technical management. Uh, that's where we you know, really operate the ships from. So crewing, purchasing, technical management, marine operations, the real blood and guts of the day-to-day -day operation uh, happen in a, with our, with our uh, team of 55 folks in Athens and uh, uh, you know, really kind of part of great part of the Greek uh, seafaring tradition uh, that we have, but uh, we operate everything as a wholly owned subsidiary. So uh, no one has to worry about a misalignment of interest with third party uh, or related party managers on the outside. Uh, we feel great about our operation. It does allow us to, to uh, engage in time charter business by having our own integrated operation, which we think is a significant selling point because while the market is heavily time charter, uh, spot charter based, we do think that the uh, being able to compete for strong time charters with good counterparties is an important competitive calling card. Um, John's going to talk about this, uh, I, I expect, because we usually get a question about it in Q&A. Um, how are we positioned for the, the coming regulatory challenges? Um, as we touched on earlier, we've made a significant investment in scrubbers. Um, that's been extraordinarily uh, profitable, uh, high return project for us. You know, we budgeted, uh, I think, a three-year payback based on $150 metric ton spread between very low sulfur fuel oil and high sulfur fuel oil. Um, it's done better than that. Um, and that even in, takes account of the time right after uh, the regulations changed that required the use of VLSFO and coincided with the start of the COVID lockdown. So we had a period of time when there was not much of a premium, if any. So uh, we're pretty happy with how that investment has worked out for us. As I touched on earlier, we're going to take delivery over the course of this calendar year of four ships that are uh, uh, LPG dual fuel. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, how that works out. Um, but again, it gives us that optionality and also very favorable emissions characteristics uh, as well, which is increasingly important. Um, and in terms of, you know, getting getting the, the architecture in place internally for all the, 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 the uh, tracking that's necessary to comply with the new regulations, um, our teams in Greece and Copenhagen have done a great job. Uh, we feel really well positioned and, uh, you know, it's going to be an increasing point of differentiation over time. So to touch again on why, what, you know, we think makes us unique, we've clearly got an outstanding fleet lower than uh, the average global fleet age, uh, strong uh, average efficiency ratio, which gives us a financial benefit 
of uh, five basis points in our borrowing margin. So our lenders put their money where their uh, ESG mandates are. Um, fleets, uh, you know, fleet continues to, uh, you know, do well. Uh, they were contracted the right point in the cycle. We've touched on our uh, large uh, on our large commercial platform, which again is a great point of differentiation for us, and uh, has continued to allow us to deliver outstanding chartering results. And finally, uh, we have proven ourselves, we believe, to be disciplined and intelligent capital allocators. Uh, we have uh, returned over 500 million of, IP, uh, of capital since our IPO. We've done open market repurchases. Uh, we did $113 million uh, uh, self-tender offer uh, beginning of 2020. And since that time, uh, we've paid out dividends. Uh, they've all been irregular. Uh, we don't anticipate changing that, but uh, you know, we've, I think we've played out dividends the last five quarters four of $1 and one of $2.50. Uh, we've been able to do that because of uh, the strong chartering markets, but also we made a number of changes to our balance sheet over time. Um, we uh, And the capstone of that was the transaction listed there when we uh, refinanced our remaining traditional debt facility um, into a seven-year facility. That's better than the standard five-year that we usually see in the shipping industry. Uh, with, an, with, we think, a quite attractive margin over SOFR, 220 basis points. And at the same time, we were able to put a number of our vessels into uh, Japanese financing structures that uh, generally are longer dated, 10 to 13 years, um, and uh, are mostly fixed interest rate at attractive rates, uh, you know, four-ish percent, and uh, very favorable covenant, covenant packages. So, uh, we feel very well set up for, for the future, and we believe that uh, we've got a proven track record of rewarding investors, and uh, we intend to continue to act on that in the future. So with that, we're going to uh, stop the formal presentations, and we will uh, turn to Q&A. Uh, yes, you'll have access to the uh, presentation. Um, so uh, we have a question. Uh, we have a question on uh, on the um, on on on, what, on sort of overall uh, regulatory outlook and how we see the uh, and how we see the challenges uh, and the opportunities. Uh, John, do you want to talk about um, you know maybe uh, what you know overall what we've been doing there? And, uh, you know, I guess we have another question about will we consider putting scrubbers in the rest of the fleet? So maybe you want to take that? Well, of course. Uh, thank you, Ted. Um, uh, I'm more than happy to talk about uh, scrubbers. Uh, we were leaders in uh, installing scrubbers on our ships. We installed uh, two scrubbers when the ships were being built back in 2015. Uh, we wanted to learn that technology well. Uh, we thought that was... Uh, uh, a, a great opportunity uh, for um, not only technological advance, but also for cleaner emissions uh, way before it was even mandated or regulated to have uh, low sulfur emissions. We thought this was a, a great opportunity to show the um, uh, uh, to show ourselves how this uh, technology can help. Uh, so we used those scrubbers since 2015, and we were uh, more than convinced uh, to install more scrubbers, which we did in uh, 2019 and 2000, 
uh, 20. Uh, um, so we were preparing uh, our fleet and we installed 10 more scrubbers. So we have 12 uh, scrubber ships right now. Uh, we are contemplating more scrubbers and uh, we think it's a, a great way to um, uh, keep uh, emissions uh, uh, for socks, uh, particulate matter and carbon uh, very low because uh, scrubbers keep all that, uh, all, all these um, uh, bad substances out of the air. Um, they are being uh, diluted with water and also we use caustic soda, which kind of neutralizes everything. So everything that comes out, whether it is up on the air or in the water is neutral, is uh, pH neutral. So. Uh, we believe in that technology and we, we feel that uh, it, it has earned a, a, a lot of followers uh, since uh, we, uh, we, we've done it. And the, and the reason is that it, it, it is also um, uh, proven to be uh, advantageous in, um, in the bottom line because uh, uh, heavy fuel oil uh, is, is uh, less expensive than uh, 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 low sulfur fuel oil. And um, there is a significant spread in the pricing. Currently, it stands about $200 per ton. So it's a significant kind of uh, uh, profit center for us. Uh, it has, as Ted said, paid off for, for, for the scrubber installations and has uh, uh, um, made us uh, uh, consider the next steps of uh, trying to make our ships more um, uh, prepared for, the, for, 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 for new emissions uh, uh, like uh, uh, carbon capture. Uh, the CO2 capture is the next uh, thing that we are looking at. And of course, uh, Escarbor will help in that because it combines all the streams of emission and exhaust into one uh, funnel. Um, uh, we, we, we think also that uh, uh, the, the, the scrubbers uh, do perform better than the ships that burn low sulfur fuel oil uh, because they, they invariably produce less shocks and, uh, as I said, also less carbon and uh, particulate matter. So these are uh, great uh, uh, piece instruments that uh, have been installed, uh, installations that have been done on our, on our vessels, and we will uh, consider more. Uh, uh, more installations in the future. Yeah, thank you, John. Um, uh, we have another question about current new build costs, timeframes, historical cost, how they compare to historical costs and uh, yards we prefer. Do you want to taking that as well? Well, of course. Uh, new build cost, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it has uh, gone up because uh, there has been um, uh, limited uh, shipbuilding space. Uh, the yards went through uh, a big spree of uh, production back, uh, uh, as we said before, back in 2015, 16, etc. And since then, they had to reduce their capacity. Uh, as, as a result of that reduction of capacity, now they have found themselves with an explosion of uh, container demand, LNG demand, LNG ship demand, container ship demand. Um, LPG vessels uh, have also 
as you have seen, we, there's been a, a big order book of, 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 of ships. Uh, they, they will take more than two years to be, you know, to come out in the water. Um, and, um, and the pricing has increased substantially um, uh, in, in, in the last couple of years as a result of the limited uh, um, capacity in the shipyards. Uh, and we have seen ships uh, go up in price uh, to, to build a, a new ship, whether it is a container ship, an LNG ship, or an LPG ship, uh, it, they have gone up uh, uh, significantly, maybe by uh, more than uh, 10, 15%. So uh, we are uh, uh, we, we probably even some, some, some of them have gone up to 20%. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I mean, current current new build price ninety five hundred million. Is that it's, it's, uh, you would be lucky to get a ship at ninety five million, uh, and delivery. that would be for for delivery twenty uh, twenty six most likely, uh, maybe the end of twenty five, but I yeah. don't think so. And uh, and, and that uh, compares to our build cost of seventy two seventy five. That's correct. That's that 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 is that is true. Uh, so. Um, there is uh, limited uh, space. Uh, most of the shipyards now are building ships for um, end of 25, beginning of 26. So there is uh, there, there is that 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 uh, situation with that. Yeah. Thanks, John. Um, so we had a number of questions on uh, the dividend capital allocation, share buybacks. So let me try to take all of those. Um, in, in one, if I can. Um, so look, we, um, we decided, I think fundamentally that uh, a dividend made sense because uh, we did buy back a lot of our stock. I think we've, we, when we went public, we had 46 million share, 56 million shares outstanding. And uh, today we have 40 million shares outstanding. So we've repurchased a significant amount of the company. Um, so that was at least part of the thinking and saying, hey, look, we, we've shrunk the float. Um, and, and there is some virtue in that uh, in a lot of ways because it can sort of spring load a, a share price pop. Um, on the other hand, um, you know, we, we, we did feel that a dividend uh, based on feedback from investors was something that would be attractive. Um, you know, we as, we as uh, share owners ourselves, you know, obviously enjoy the dividends uh, as well. And, uh, you know, and so obviously management's interest being aligned with shareholders is always a good thing. Um, you know, I think, how do we look at it? Look, we've intentionally, as we've said, kept it uh, irregular and we have intentionally not and will not be drawn on uh, a formula. It's not formulaic. And we think we think being formulaic in um, a, a uh a volatile industry like shipping uh, can lead to some uh, can lead to some danger. So uh, what we what we do is, with our board is carefully kind of look at the market environment, look at what we kind of see over the next few months, uh, because really we we have uh, limited. We sort of have three to four months of visibility on our in our spot chartering, uh, and so then we're able to do a pretty good uh, cash flow analysis, and then we can make an assessment about. Uh, again, with the board about how we feel about risks and opportunities going forward, and then come up with a, uh, a level of, of dividend, if any, that we think makes sense. Um, you know, part and parcel of that is there was a question about time charters 
Um, and, uh, you know, it's it, our business has become increasingly a spot business. Uh, there are some time charters available. They're not frequent. Uh, I, I don't know that there's been enough inquiry recently that I'd hazard a guess on where the market is for, uh, you know, a three or a five year time charter. Um, one year time charters continue to be available. I mean, they're, um, you know, not not that not that uncommon. We do them in our pool. Uh, but but longer data continues to be a bit uh, a, a bit unusual, and so as a result, we need to be mindful of the, of, of what uh, of, of what the spot market looks like and what our cash needs are. Uh, we certainly uh, want to maintain a healthy cash balance uh, because we need to be ready for whatever the the, the market may send our way. Um, you know, we haven't really uh, reevaluated uh, recently what criteria will be for share buybacks. Um, Again, uh, wouldn't want to be drawn on it because I wouldn't want to signal the market one way or the other anyway. But um, you know, we've seen uh, in the last year, uh, you know, our, our total shareholder return was fantastic. Uh, we were a top performer in a number of uh, our investors' portfolios, which of course is is heartening. And you know, look, investors do screen on total shareholder return, and the beauty of a dividend is it's it goes dollar for dollar into your TSR. Uh, calculation, whereas uh, you know the payback on on buybacks uh, can sometimes take a little longer to see, and it may not be immediately obvious. So we don't exclude the mighty stretch of the imagination. Uh, but again, you know, given the favorable feedback that uh, our investors have given us on dividends, um, you know, we'll continue to probably keep that in the forefront. But by no means are we uh, turning off the opportunity to repurchase stock um, at, at any point uh, in the future. Um, so, um, that's, I guess the best we can do on that. Um, John, you want to talk about these port things? Do we see port facilities? Yes, we export. Um, I don't think we're particularly worried about, um, uh, you know, any export constraints in the U S. Um, you know, I think, uh, we've historically seen, and, and we have some material in our broader investor deck, which is on our website, which shows, the very steady growth in in uh, in port capacity, um, you know. Uh, there's a question here, sort of likening it to Ellen. Do you want to, you want to jump in? Yeah, I, it, 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 what it happened is uh, uh, yes, Houston uh, uh, as such has uh, um, uh, had its uh, share of uh, weather uh, accidents and things like that. The 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 Houston um, uh, Canal. Um, uh, Houston Channel uh, does have a few problems, et cetera, but uh, uh, they have managed uh, extremely well. And uh, um, there are uh, alternative terminals besides the, in the Houston Channel. Um, uh, the, the, there is uh, uh, Beaumont that has a, a terminal there by energy transfer. Then there is uh, Freeport, which is a little bit further down from uh, uh, from Galveston, where uh, there's a loading facility there, and also there is a, a loading terminal up in Philadelphia. So, uh, and now we have a significant export from uh, Ferndale, in uh, up on the on the west coast, uh, the north, uh, uh, the north of the, the United States. So uh, th there is a number of expert uh, areas now that we have, and even if Houston gets um, some kind of a problem, um, it's usually been uh, taken care of fairly quickly. 
and uh, you know other other places can uh, can arrange to um, because the, the United States is 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 well positioned with enough pipelines to be able to kind of move things around to various other distant other areas where they can load ships, etc. Um, the the most important thing that has not been talked about here was that Panama Canal is uh, is is a problem. Is 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 many times we have uh, uh, big uh, queues of vessels uh, because uh, uh, all kinds of vessels go there. The priority is container ships, of course, as you realize, and also LNG ships. Um, so. Um, uh, we, we, as far as LPG ships are concerned, we don't have such a, a high priority as those uh, uh, container ships, of course. But uh, uh, whether you know, sometimes uh, there is a lot of traffic going through, through the canal, and there is some waiting times uh, that are uh, causing uh, a backup, and uh, therefore. Uh, 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 shortage of uh, shipping, uh, which uh, in increases rates, freight rates even higher, uh, because there's just not enough ships uh, available uh, due to the Panama Canal kind of uh, uh, congestion. Uh, so this is something that uh, we, you know, we always watch, we always plan our our passages, and we try to book as far as we are permitted to, because uh, Panama Canal does not permit us to book uh, that far in advance anyway. So this is uh, something that we one needs to think about as well. Yeah. Um, so uh, I don't know if there's any other questions. Uh, um, I think uh, somebody asked about uh, whether the, the shipyards, the shipyard building DLTCs are uh, a number of shipyards. There are a few shipyards that do that. We, 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 you know, the, the Koreans are mainly, and the, the Chinese. There's a particular yard in, in China that uh, builds DLTC ships, and um, then there is a, a couple yards in, in uh, Korea, uh, and then there is uh, Japan. Uh, so th th that's what it is. The, the, the quality of the, the, the yards, of the, the ships built at those yards is, is pretty good. Uh, uh, the, the Chinese yard has been building ships for, for uh, you know, 10, 15 years uh, and uh, has improve, improved its product. Um, there may be a small uh, differential in the, in the pricing uh, of, of the ship, but, uh, uh, you know, it's really very small. Uh, uh, and I don't know in the resale value if there's going to be uh, a, a lot of difference, but usually they are um, uh, considered uh, uh, a little bit uh, lower technology and therefore a little bit lower in resale value, just maybe that. Yeah, um, yeah I, think, I, I think that generally covers it. We got a few questions about what's coming next on dividends. Um, uh, we understand the question; it's logical, but we're not going to be drawn on it. Um, you know, we'll, we'll announce quarterly earnings in a in a few weeks, and uh, if there's an announcement, it usually coincides with quarterly earnings, and we'll sort of leave it at that. And uh, we want to thank everyone for taking the time to uh, listen to our presentation today. Uh, we're available for for for, for follow up questions, and uh, we also want to thank uh, Capital Link for uh, putting together such a great uh, event. Thanks, everyone.
Well, thank you very much, uh, John and Ted. Uh, I have to say I'm really thrilled, uh, not just by the quality of your presentation, but by the avalanche of questions that you have been getting. Uh, I think this is the value, one of the values of this type of session, the interactive, getting a lot of questions from the floor. So thank you to the participants, and of course, thank you to you for joining. And in closing, to remind everybody that this session will be available as an archive for uh, on-demand um, replays uh, after the live session. Thank you very much to everybody. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.